Oh shit. Here we go again. Hey everybody, welcome back to episode 50 of the Human Reaction Podcast. Woo! You we made it. Can you believe that? I think that makes us like top of the 0.5% of podcasts. Most podcasts don't make it past like seven from my understanding. Yeah. We made it to 20. We were in the top 1%. So now we're somewhere above we're, we're that. We're in the top 1% of the top 1%. That's right. We are the elite of the elite. <laughs> we are the people you hate. Thanks for watching. You and the three, us and the three people that watch us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thanks, Hi, mom, mom and dad. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. We have a few hundred that consistently watch us. Today, we're going to take a departure from our normal current events coverage and and really get spicy with some stuff. What are we talking about, David? So the GTA 6 trailer dropped, uh, was leaked and then dropped, and it's the biggest YouTube launch trailer of all time, and it wasn't planned. And for my parents who don't know what GTA 6 is, we're talking Grand Theft Auto, the hugely popular game franchise that is all about uh, criminal activity. Yeah, and, and, we, and we want to talk about the culture around it and why it actually may matter. Yeah, the internet goes crazy about it this week. Uh, Andrew Tate does not like it. Elon Musk uh, doesn't like crime. That's also been established. <laughs> and then some people say it's all woke nonsense. Next thing we're going to talk about is uh, Twitch gaming has pulled out of South Korea with huge implications for the regulation of the internet. Very interesting comparative analysis. And lastly, House Education Committee questions the elite colleges and universities of America about anti-Semitism. Here we go. Let's let's get into and, the juice. Before we get into it, remember to like, comment, and subscribe. Ooh, tease. We oh. gotta do the we gotta do the YouTube thing, Joe. Oh, you don't sorry. Want to skip over that part. That's the most important part. That's right. Yeah, and there's chapter marks down below. Skip to whatever you want, but you're gonna want to be here for the GTA conversation, I think. That's right. It's gonna get, it was getting spicy in here beforehand. Oh, it's gonna get spicy. And uh, join our Discord. If you're Discord savvy, come join and hang out with us. And uh, let us know if you've received your Carrier Falcon yet, if you're not Discord Sam. Yeah. <laughs> Instructions on how to use the internet are inside. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, there goes one now. <laughs> All right, let's watch this this infamous trailer that was like one of the one of or or the most highly watched video game debut ever. It on is YouTube. the biggest ever. Not video game trailer. Trailer. Yeah. It includes movies, anything. Hundred and thirty million views in three days at the time of us watching it right now. I believe it was like within six hours, eight hours, it was like eighty million views. Yeah. I haven't I seen this yet, to be clear, but I want you to Fresh think reaction. about while you're watching this, how it might parallel the culture and society we live in. Yeah. Let's go. Lucia, do you know why you're here? Bad luck, I guess. <laughs> the realism of the art design is crazy. She said she cared about me. She tried to make love <laughs> the way she thought it should be. Yeah, we were desperate to have each other It's a lot of Florida tropes. Well, look who's back. <laughs> the only way we're going to get through this is by sticking together, being a team. Trust? Trust. Yeah. 
All right. All right. So, wow. So one of the one of wow. the interesting things I, I like just from like an artistic standpoint, like you're an artsy guy, Joe. I think you. Oh, thank is you. A lot of a lot of those scenes there are actually recreations of like real things that happened in real life news, like like a lot of like Florida man says Florida man does like the gator lot, walking into yeah, the a lot of these things. They're actually just like recreations of those things into like the GTA universe, which is kind of fun. Hmm. But, um, David, what were your first impressions? It's obviously, like I said, uh, art imitating life and this, you know, life imitating art phenomena, right? Then that, that is going to drive so much of the background of GTA six over the next year before it comes out and everything else. Like that. I do think that the people are misreading the introduction of a female protagonist because traditionally GTA has only ever been male protagonists, right? So they're kind of seeing, they're like, oh, this is a woke moment sort of thing because as a female protagonist, I think they've exhausted a lot of the other tropes of the crime genre and they're going to go, here's my prediction, with the Bonnie and Clyde trope this time. You you get that from the trailer, yeah. actually. Yeah, the and, and, like, and I think that people are just kind of skipping right past that and going to, oh, well, they she's transgender or... Yeah, which was like a very unsubstantiated rumor. Yeah. Because like, Something that people so gamer culture is interesting in this regard where GTA and Rockstar Games, who's the producer of GTA, they're kind of like the South Park of video games where they have a lot of cultural uh, things that they're kind of talking about and lacing in with their story. And they're kind of poking fun at a lot of things satirically uh, that are going on. So like a lot of the type of South Park humor that always kind of exists in the ether, Rockstar Games kind of does the same type of stuff in their in their genre of games. Mm-hmm. okay that's interesting um i mean I've, I've got a there's a there's a lot there in that trailer i mean so much that i feel like you almost have to go back and like examine it frame by frame to like get all of the the density that they've put into that because if if you're not watching you're really missing out you should go watch uh, on youtube and while you're there like and subscribe uh <laughs> well done sir but and to, to, be, us, cl- to, be, cl- to be clear <laughs> To be clear, I'm not really a gamer. I, you know, I, I think I dropped off after like the second Xbox or, or something like that and started doing other things. So I'm coming at this from like a non-gamer standpoint Nerd. and I've never seen this before and I've ne- I, I've played GTA. Loser. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Say all the guys that fucking hang out in their basement Cheeto-covered fingers playing. <laughs> stu- anyway, gamers are great. I love you guys. Uh, um, fingers are covered in element. <laughs> <laughs> no, so Never we mind. can stay hydrated yeah. through element through 24 hour <laughs> gaming marathons. So, I mean, I think the interesting thing for me is that like it, so much of that trailer was viewed through the lens of social media, Yeah, which, you know, you can see like the, the, the likes scrolling, like these are, these are live streaming things. Right. Which to me was interesting is par- very much parallel to real life. People find themselves viewing other people's lives and these crazy things that we see in the world through their phones right mm-hmm. um to me and then this is like this is where i differ from you guys and this is where our pre-show conversation got so spicy is i think that's there's a direct correlation there i think it's definitely a two-way street and i think video games like gta definitely tend to influence the culture more perhaps than than you guys do do you is that kind of how you, you know, feel i think storytelling in general is one of the culture driving vehicles so and it doesn't matter really what genre it's in so like video games is just one of those genres and video game storytelling is becoming more and more relevant and, and better over the years like it's evolving so much more so like i i i completely agree games like gta that are massive phenomenon are very big culture drivers i just don't think a lot of the general conservative outrage about like now people are gonna start beating up on cops and things like that. like i think that becomes it's like school shooter phenomenon like it's like video games are causing school shooting. like not, not really no 
Tipper Gore was wrong. It has had never been right. And at every step of the way, the kind of culture panic around these things mostly have to do with not seeing it as a storytelling medium. So I, I agree uh, with both of you, I think, in the sense that um, there's the aggregate phenomena of culture and art and culture kind of reflecting each other back and forth as a, as a mirror, right? Um, what you see in the mirror might change your behavior, right? You might wake up one day and be like, wow, I'm 30 pounds overweight. Maybe I should go work out. The mirror reflects back to you and then you change your behavior, but it is reflecting truly, right? So that moment where, uh, you know, for example, the Godfather, um, you know, it could be decried as a celebration of crime, it was put out in the 1960s, 70s. When did the Godfather come out? I'm forgetting. I'm forgetting right now. I don't know. Come on, film student. Let's go, Bennett. <laughs> Give us some film history class right here. I was, right was going to say later than that, but I actually don't know. I don't think it's the 80s. I think it's the 70s. But the you wouldn't say that the rise of crime in the 70s was tied to that. 1972. Yep. Yeah. And the book came out in the 60s. So I, I, I once again, I really do not think. I think. I think it's when you blame. And here's the error, the key philosophical error, and I think you'll agree with this. Whenever you blame an individual phenomena because of an aggregate, aggregate situation, that's when it becomes a problem because you take the agency out of the individual doing something, right? So someone shoots up a school, you say, this is because of doom, you know, even though you're shooting, you know, demons. Joe, do you know what doom is? Yes, thank you. I do. I <laughs> was old enough that I did play it. Pop quiz. <laughs> but, you know, the people who are doing it, uh, the Columbine in this case, were playing that game and they actually built the school in the game and like that. And then you can blame the game, right? You can listen to Marilyn Manson and go do that and you blame the artist, right? Those sorts of like culture and blaming an individual case, that's the error. It's a, it's a aggregate to individualized error. I would agree with that 100%. Yep. And I don't think that um, my view is that any one specific piece of the cultural tapestry, if we might say, right, like one singular, singular movie or video game mm. could be solely responsible for activity, for, for, for changes in people's sensitivity to and, and procl- proclivity to particular actions, right? So for example, like, I mean, GTA is a video game that is built all around like, like criminal lifestyle. Yep. Right. Are you saying that, that you don't think that that, that, that popularizing that increases or, or sorry, I should say decreases one's sensitivity to the fact that like, that's not a lifestyle that you want to live, like glamorizing it. Is that a, is that a good thing? I don't think it does because the gangster movie goes back to the tens. 1910s, right? It goes all the way back to the origins of cinema and storytelling. Sure. So a little like, different though, because typical gangster movies aren't, aren't uh, played by kids. And I know we had this conversation before. Right. Well, GTA is not. GTA is meant to be played by adults. Yes. Right. Like right. But, we all, but we all know yeah. that you started yeah. playing it when you were seven. Yeah. No, I, I definitely right. played GTA when I was seven. And we, and we can all see how you Sorry, turned mom. out. Sorry, mom. <laughs> it was my cousin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I, I do think from a parental point of view, as a parent, you know, I am very, I am very dogmatic about like appropriate game at appropriate time. I'm a little less so with movies. Movies, I'm a little bit more willing to push around the edges a little bit, but games, I'm very sensitive to, especially. And there's, but there's also a huge difference, right? Um, you know, there's there's very different gradations of concern for different individual children, right? Individual kids matter, right? It's not just all kids are the same. Uh, but also like the sensitivities of the parent, the culture the parents in, um, and then trying to do the thing that's best for the kid, the individual kid, right? 
the 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 social phenomena of like you could have said the kids will go to see the the godfather and then they'll want to join the italian mafia because it glamorizes the italian mafia right or scarface way more violent version of the same thing enormously popular won all kind of awards and we don't treat it as the same way we would gta why well again well, i, I be, don't i imagine for the older people at the time it might have been talked about that way but it just we didn't have the diversified you know, communication channels to hear that voice. Right. And well, I think that's just a little bit more like further removed from something that is showing in this trailer, at least, right? Like activities that are far less extreme than joining the Italian mafia. Well, but right? no, it's, it's not just, I mean, he, it's not just available to everybody to just go join the Italian mafia. Right? See it's, pretty, mountain, it's pretty available, but you can't, <laughs> no, but you can go onto the yeah. street and like do some stupid shit with your car and stream it to your friends. And so what are the implications mm. around the impressionability of kids who might want to do something to make themselves popular or to imitate this popular video game and like, you know, virtue signal to their, their tribe about things and go do stupid shit. Yeah. 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 The, it's kind of interesting. The whole conversation you guys were just having was made me think think of an, uh, an Eminem lyric. So I pulled up the lyric for this because it's, it's his response to on, on a track called right. Renegade with him and Jay-Z. Do, do the beat, Joe. It's, it's, You're the drummer. Come no, on. I don't, I don't but like, but it's, it's his response Joe doesn't to, listen to Eminem. <laughs> he's not cultured. Actually, actually, the first Eminem song I ever listened to, we a friend and I ripped off of the radio onto a cassette tape. Oh, wow. back in the day. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, that was the real Slim Shady. But, but this is his response to, to parents saying that he's bad for the youth. Because remember, there was times where like Bush was like he was Eminem was getting investigated by the Secret Service. There was all this stuff that was going on in the culture because Eminem was bad for the youth. So he, he writes in the song, there's a huge interference. They're saying that you shouldn't hear it, his music. Maybe it's hatred I spew. Maybe it's food for the spirit. Maybe it's beautiful music I made for you to just cherish. But I'm just debated, disputed and hated and viewed in America as a mother effing drug addict. Like you didn't experiment. He's talking to the parents Ooh. going back to like 70s, right? Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. you didn't experiment. Now that's when you start to stare at who's in the mirror and see yourself as a kid again and you get embarrassed and I got nothing to do to but make you look stupid as parents. You little do-gooders too bad you couldn't do good at marriage <laughs> like, oh. I, I always loved that lyric because it's one of those things where there's always this like oh the kids the kids the kids and it's always just the classic generational conflict right yeah and it's like oh the kids are doing the new thing but it's like but you as parents were doing the same stuff back in back when you were kids right different you know different time periods but it's like the same you guys were like I would the type say, of music that was going on in rock and roll at the time is like, you know, like it was like devil music and like all this stuff, right? Okay, like yes. all that was in the generation in the that was in the generation. And this is always the thing that people miss. The generation that was saying that about the music in the 1960s and 70s were the generation whose parents were flappers. Which was also like Which crazy. Which very like, scandalous. That was right. like promiscuous right. and but scandalous. Again, but again, you know? like, like looking back, we can see the escalation of this curve, right? Like if, if those are the degrees of difference between our parents' generation and their grandparents' generation or, or prior, you know, uh, oh, yeah, our parents were listening to rock and roll, the devil's music, and they were mm -hmm. smoking grass, right? Mm -hmm. Well, let's just take cannabis, for example. Like the ditch weed that our parents were smoking is nothing like what you can get now. It's concentrated, it's stronger, yep. and it gets you way more high to the point where people are getting hospitalized over it, right? That aside, let's look at... Um, like the difference between, you know, what was considered mischief behavior in our parents' era versus like, what do we find now with like flash mobs of kids going in and like looting entire stores? Like we are seeing escalation of, of is that behavior the video game's fault though? Yeah. I'm not saying that question, it is. Right? I'm not saying that it is, that's but I think that there's, there's an overall like 
there's an exponential apart. curve that's occurring here that's being reflected perhaps in the media and in the video games that are sort of paralleling real life yeah. life imitating art and vice versa it's just a complicated story because it was far more violent in 1960s and 70s right despite not having the the legalized theft phenomena we have now they had a different set of political violence like police stations getting bombed mm-hmm. right i mean that didn't happen it hasn't happened recently yeah like the, um, the riots that we've seen in recent years are actually like way less bad than the things that were going on in like those time periods. yeah um additionally uh far They're less still bad far less premarital sex right now than it was amongst our parents generation um among gen z oh yeah for gen z uh a lot there's there's less drug use among certain sectors of that population uh despite the rise of fentanyl and stuff like that it's actually made drugs more you know, dangerous and therefore people do love them less um there's all there's all it's, kinds of I might be social this, isolation phenomena that's also contributing to that yeah i might be making this up but isn't alcohol use also way down for mm-hmm. gen z yeah, yeah. but I, I i have to imagine like weed use it's probably just been substituted by like vaping and stuff like that it right? might be uh, a competitive perhaps, use yeah. situation a competitive product but, but, but so like it's hard to ever make that you know our culture is just falling apart along a singular measure especially when you look at i mean mountains of cocaine in the 1980s right i mean the scarface was based upon a real thing and it was a real example of people who actually take it into their culture and quote tony montana so I, I wouldn't say that this is, I would say that this is a persistent nature of American character, right? The individual who stands up against the authority structure as a private is going to stand up and be their own authority structure and fight the power that be that is, that goes all the way back to old West and the old Westerns of fighting the expansion of civilization out West and people who are trying to hold on to the old way of life where you could be independent and free and not bow to anybody and not pay taxes and not do all the things that, you know, lots of people on the right like that same spirit is also the spirit that says when you come here, you can you can either bow to the Italian mafia and their way of doing things with revenge and be taken care of and have the benefits of the private governance of the Italian mafia, or you could do the American thing and integrate into the global into the global society. That is the, what the Godfather book's about, right? Is that dynamic? So I, I don't I, I think the. GTA is just a reflection of that American character rather than the driving force ultimately yeah. because it precedes it, it informs it and everything around that genre of literature all reinforces that same set of values. Although even as we read it and then are influenced by it. Yeah. I, I typically see at least the video games that I enjoy playing myself. Um, I think that there's a broader conversation that we want to get into of like how games have shifted and how it's changing the youth. I think that there is something interesting there, but like the games that I personally enjoy playing, I view them much more as like art pieces in the same way that I would view like cinema and GTA would be one of those types of games. Like it's big storytelling, big sandbox of things that you can do and you can kind of like influence the environment and things like that. I'm curious to see how they're taking the new technology on here. Like, like if you watch the trailer, how realistic everything looks like, it's pretty wild. Yeah. I mean, GTA five was a great example. Like the, the a core storyline plot of that is the transition of a man into his middle years. It's a midlife crisis story yeah. fundamentally, right? It's about a guy who's having a hard time with his wife and he can't relate to his son. And he's like, but he used to be this criminal. And I was like getting pulled back from the criminal gang. Like it's a human story that has lots of gangland narratives around it put that put that story into a movie and everyone would love it yes like it, it, wouldn't, it, it, right. it wouldn't be blamed for school shootings or, no, or <laughs> exactly. prostitutes getting beat so, up or something so that is a, that is an interesting you know divide there because I, i'm not feeling like the godfather analogy is quite appropriate because that's a passive consumption of a piece of media a video mm-hmm. game is an interactive 
uh, media where you are making decisions. What difference does that play in this dynamic? I think it actually just makes it, when you role play, are you you or are you the thing that you're doing? Right. It's like it's, a Dungeons and Dragons phenomenon back in the eighties, right? Where right. it's like all these kids are they're like casting spells, they're casting spells, <laughs> and they're fighting. Like, like typically, it's like you're fighting demons or something like that. And it's yeah. like, oh my god, it's like demon possession. They're talking about demons, yeah. and you're just like, no, you're just role playing, fighting, fighting demons. Yeah, it's right? it's not real, and you know it's not real. That's one part of it. And additionally, that there's the, the it, it is it, there's a there's a greater sympathy to the character you're telling the story with and acting with, right? One of the difficulties, like um, American hit, no, not American History X. That's not what I'm going for. <laughs> Very different story. American Pie. No, God, that's the comedy. What's the one with uh, Kevin Spacey and he and he loses his job and he like starts working out. Oh, he ends up dying in the end. I don't remember. Spoiler, Bennett. Yeah, I'm looking. You're the film buff. Come on, he ends up dying in the end. Sorry if you haven't seen it, but he dies in the end. <laughs> well, it's, it's kind of an important part of the overall yeah. takeaway. American Beauty, that's it. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, that yeah. that story is also about midlife crisis, right? And it's and it's incredibly dark in a sense too. But it it gives an expression of the nihilism that people can fall into if they live their life passively in this way of a consistent creep of duty. And responsibility without any self-respect and where you can wind up to as a person is about a person re-seizing that and just as they start to accomplish that and realize that a lot of the things that they attach to as that is actually illusion they die at the end great tragedy hmm. and it's been way too long for that not to be, for that to be a spoiler so screw you if you haven't seen it if you're an adult <laughs> you should go see it as far as so so one of the things that uh, the, this video game navigates the same way but it navigates from this gangster angle and one of the great things about it is you get the but you get the same arc Right? You just get to relate to the character over a much longer period of time as they go through this thing. And then, to me, it's just more powerful storytelling. It isn't... The passivity of it is actually, a, is actually I think, a downside to, uh, to movies. Video games, you get an opportunity to use your reason while you're going through it. You get an opportunity to exercise real sympathy for a character and actually see it from the point of view. Like You get a full r- range of engagement across, I think, your brain um, that I think is actually an asset. Hmm. Interesting. Do you think that most, uh, let's just say younger video game, like gamers who are playing GTA, even if they're not maybe supposed to, or it's not intended for them. Do you think they're engaging in those stories that way? No. Or do you think they're there to just like, like punch prostitutes and shoot cops no, or just random people in the street or just to, just to be, just, just to, to enjoy run around the, the world and play. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like I, I think there's different elements and that's why I think GTA is made for adults. Like I think it's a very much an adult video game and it's probably not, best for like seven-year-olds to play it (laughs) (laughs) unless they're like incredibly mature like it's it's really just like a maturity level element that exists there um i do think that some of the uh commentary around the game has been interesting um there's been a lot of virtue signaling i've noticed on twitter that has existed and we have um a tweet thread with elon musk in it right now so some guy he's kind of just saying a list of games i've never played gta 1 gta 6 and he or all the way through gta 6 and then Elon Musk says, I tried, but didn't like doing crime. <laughs> GTA 5 required shooting police officer, officers in the opening scene. Just couldn't do it. And then Ian, Mile, Ian Miles Chung, who's a big Twitter guy. I'm glad shooting cops in Cyberpunk 2077 is completely optional. Never finished GTA 5 either. Cyberpunk 2077 was another big uh gaming phenomenon that came out in recent years because of how high quality it was. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, there, and then we also have here um, Andrew Tate, 
made some comments about it. <laughs> so we're, we're going into all the internet celebrities <laughs> here. to go through it. Um, I haven't actually seen this clip, so I'm curious to what, know what he said here. New GTA 6 is out. Have you ever played any GTA? This is a genuine question. I've never played any of them. I believe that I played the first one that's like a top-down, bird's-eye view, kind of 2D game without any real graphic violence back when I was maybe 10 or 11 or 12. You blew, you blew when, whenever it came out. I, I do recall that. But you know what? I'm going to speak about GTA 6 while, while you're on the topic because now we're actually talking about something that's relatively important. Video games aren't necessarily evil. But, you know, I remember when video games, because I'm very old, I'm an old man. I remember when you used to play a little man in a red hat trying to rescue a princess and teaming up with your brother. Now, if rescuing purity from evil while teaming up for your brother isn't a good theme of a video game, then I don't really know what is. I'm not a fan of anyone under the age of 18, 21 maybe, playing video games where the goal is to shoot police officers. I just don't think that's good for society. With all the amazing graphics and engines and whatever people put into these video games, I feel like you could create a better objective with the game, you know? Maybe you are the police officer. Maybe you are trying to stop. <laughs> oh, is that, so it's actually more Tristan Tate's uh, perspective in this clip. Um, that's also not the goal. <laughs> you're actually trying to avoid the police uh, whenever possible in that shooting out get stars but okay so one of, the th- one of the ironies is gta 1 is all about stealing cars and he's like it's not that violent it's like no you run it's around about carjacking it's about carjacking that's why it's grand theft auto it's, up, it's mostly about carjacking yeah you blow yeah. up other cars and you shoot outside your car and it, like it, come on man um, and then like this is just is just like a millennial because he's he's my age right he's not that much older than me yeah. and, and he's like less. he's like back in my day the games were innocent and pure it's like it's kind of- not really <laughs> not really <laughs> no what's not innocent and pure about mario yeah well mario had its dynamic but like it's 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 only when you look at video games you get that story because at the exact same time plenty of controversial movies were being made and books were being written and culture had all these things. Right. And, and like, I get it. He's saying kids shouldn't play GTA. Sure. Fine. Which is already so, something we basically said. Yeah, like yeah, you probably yeah. shouldn't Everyone play agrees it. That. He's 18, agreeing. Right? He's disagreeing with no one. Yeah. <laughs> says that. And, and maybe that's like advice to his listeners and I'll give him that credit. But I'm just saying like, there's this, uh, it basically got out that Andrew Tate or Tristan, Tristan is his name. Tristan. Yeah. I don't know anything about the other brother. I don't know anything about him. Also a kickboxer. It's like, oh. just, follow his brother footsteps basically oh that's pretty lame <laughs> he's luigi effectively he's also a championship kickboxer oh, well, that's, that's cool i don't know if i would say that's lame <laughs> doing what your brother does is um, stupid the uh also a plumber the um, also a plumber uh but no i i, I there's nothing there's nothing like a mario and luigi died it's, 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 it's kind of funny <laughs> is one short than the other uh they're both pretty they're tall big guys yeah yeah <laughs> So, uh, and then Tim Cast has a tweet that I also put out that went pretty viral on it about uh, the main character, the female character being trans. Well, he was laughing at the idea of it. So, like, there's oh. a bunch of rumors that are speculating, and this, these are just internet rumors, is that the main character, the girl that you see in the trailer, is actually trans. But there's actually nothing that substantiates that. Rockstar right. hasn't confirmed that. Like, I don't, just, I don't think that's, I think it's probably not true. And that's the, t- that's the issue, is the anti-woke pessimism is actually driving the dialogue around yeah. this. Okay, so are you familiar with the book, Trust Me, I'm Lying? Yes. Right. Have we talked about it before on this? Mm-hmm. Okay, so that book is really great, because once you see it, you 
begin to see the patterns here and it doesn't it, the, it loses the spell loses its hold on you which is that anti-wokeness creates wokeness and vice versa right it's a yin to yang sort of situation it's very taoist and you know one of the things that you can do if you want to get attention to your movie is be like oh it's the first female superhero movie and even though it's not and everyone knows it's not you get called out on but that won't be important because every time someone calls you out on that you'd be like well why do you hate women in movies right and then people go see it to, to circle virtue, the virtue within their circle, virtue signal within their circle that it's the sort of movie that you should see. So uh, people reacting to this and this, it wasn't Tim Cast making fun of it, but there's a ton of articles online about how GTA six is going to go woke. Uh, and I think a lot of this is actually going to drive more for GTA six. Um, I don't think it works with their brand at all. So I don't think they're trying to generate this. Like I just we said, they're like the South Park of video games. Yeah, people have just made it so much of their of their lens to see the world and woke, anti-woke, that they just can't see it outside of that anymore. And it's going to hopefully defy Well, category. And we saw this with other games and we see this with movies as well. Like when Harry Potter or Hogwarts Legacy came out, which is a Harry Potter game, set like a hundred years prior to the actual Harry Potter events was also around the time where uh, JK Rowling was getting a bunch of pushback because she's a turf, a trans exclusionary radical feminist. She's just a feminist. Um, She's not a turf. She's a classic feminist that just doesn't think that the trans stuff should be lumped in with the feminist stuff. Right. And so she gets called out as this hyper bigot and all this stuff. And everybody's like boycott Harry Potter and JK Rowling. Hyper bigot. Hyper bigot. It's like a bigot, but hyper. Super bigot. She's a super bigot. Um, So, but, but all it ends up doing is it, it just drives more sales towards Hogwarts legacy, which has nothing to do with any of this stuff. Really? (laughs) They they even put in like a token trans person in the game. Yeah. Purpose in GTA six. No, no. in in, uh, Hogwarts. Hogwarts But it's the same type of phenomenon. But it is the trust me, I'm lying phenomenon where you just yeah. continue to dry that because every everything and like everything becomes so political. Everything's hyper politicized everywhere where it's just is like, is it woke or is it not woke? And everybody's just like is driven by that. Right. And mm-hmm. it's like, no, it's just this is just storytelling that's yeah. happening right here. It's just <laughs> so, different game. so you mentioned that GTA has always been satirical. And I don't think that that's probably something that most, uh, let's just say parents, right, who are, who are looking at this game from the outside in uh, would really understand. Can you can you go into that a little bit and 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 what kind of is it making a social commentary then? Well, so it's it's doing a couple of things at once. So the best medium to me, or the best storytelling, always does two things at once, right? It always has a reflection of your culture, a reflection of your time, a commentary underlying social, epistemological, uh, moral, um, different like the way things are formulated, right? And there there's commentary in that necessarily. And the way they've always chosen to do their commentary, when they do that, when they do their world building, when they have uh, a shock jock on the radio, how do they make fun of Rush Limbaugh while they do that? Or how do they make fun of, um, who's the guy with the big hair as the shock jock? Howard Stern. Howard Stern. How do they make fun of Howard Stern while they do it? They got a guy named Lazarus who does that across a bunch of games. There's a whole bunch of um, ways in which they engage from that point of view. They're doing something that both honors hip hop culture, for example. They also make fun of some of the stereotypes, right? And at the time, they couldn't do that game now, I don't think. Like, the, they would be accused of racism so yeah. quick if their CEO wasn't black, right? But, the, you know, but it was also an homage to it where a ton of people within that community love that game, San Andreas, because it 
both honors and makes fun of and treats reverently some things and treats irreverently some things. That's what good world building is when you're doing a storytelling. So um, that's the high quality of R of GTA since GTA 2, right? GTA 1, he, what he's right about is it's basically a plotless game where you just run around stealing cars. And Storytelling wasn't as big in video games back then. Like well, now, didn't have the things capa- capacity. Yeah, yeah right? now the capacity is so huge and you, you have like 100 gigabyte games, right? It was the RPG takeover of the rest of the gaming industry is what I was with. So you have like Legend of Zelda and these kind of early RPGs that had lots of plot and that's why people played them. It's so, RPG for listeners who might not. Role oh, playing game. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Welcome, you're Mom taking and Dad. the role of a character. Yeah, essentially. right. In, in, in a plot, in a moving story arc that you go through with the character um where you have games that didn't have any plot like shooters and stuff like that now like what's the plot of 007 goldeneye get through missing infiltrate people. the faces yeah, right, right, yeah, 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 you wouldn't know it doesn't really but like modern warfare 2 has an entire story mode that's really that and, has a and you identify with certain characters that are soldiers within it right yeah right. it's like it's like a band of brothers type of situation so there's a your question being the mockery of it, like how much of the reflection Well, each step of the way when they do like vice city, this is a return to vice city to be clear. Like they've been in Miami before in a previous installment of the game. And with that, when they're there, they're making fun of stereotypes of the eighties, right? They're making fun of jogging for the first time. And they're making fun of like the introduction of cocaine to American society. And they talk about Reagan and iron Contra. Like it's all in the um, fabric of the game. So it's not the point of the game though. The point of the game is a mobster tale every single time, right? It's it's like, and that's what bothers me is it's, 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 it's people are only seeing, they don't see it as part of a larger genre. They see it as an embodiment of the corruption of the American spirit when it's a genre of the American spirit. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Zesty Beverages. They're on a mission to unf*** the standard American diet by crafting drinks with fewer calories and more nutrients from real food. Their lineup of delicious offerings now includes Electric Peak Yerba Mate, postbiotic sodas, keto-friendly, ready-to-drink margaritas, and hard teas. Wondering what a postbiotic soda is? Well, head on over to ZestyBev.com to learn more and find a retailer near you. Once again, check them out online at ZestyBev.com. That's Z-E-S-T-Y-B-E-V.com. One of the most fascinating things to me was back in the day, the Gamergate phenomenon mm. um, and how culturally relevant it became. Like it, I remember watching because I was working in politics at the time and I was dealing with a lot of college kids at the time um, who were just kind of like becoming politically awakened. And what happened with Gamergate was there was kind of this infiltration into gaming culture, trying to like hyper feminize everything. Cause it used to, it was very male dominated gaming. Right. So there became this like hyper feminization that started to occur there. And there was actual like political figures and like political activists coming in and trying to being like, Oh, that game is like racist. That game is like there's sexual assault, all this stuff. And they're trying to like kind of corrode the gaming industry in a sense to try to flip the culture that started to happen. And you ended up watching, there's a lot of these like, young men at the time that are just like they're coming after my video games <laughs> like so like when i was working with college kids at the time i like countless so many college kids were just like like i'd ask like where was your political awakening like what made you start thinking about politics it was like it was gamergate it was gamergate and this is back in like 2014 hmm. it's like this it's gamergate like like i just started seeing like this media
medium of storytelling that I love is just becoming so hyper politicized. And it's like, now I feel like, like they're, they're entering my turf. Right. And I, and I watched this happen. It's actually where Candace Owens came from. Hmm. Like her, her big famous moment was, uh, I can't remember the, the woman's name. There was this one woman that was like the, the person for it. Do you remember her name? It was Sargon on a on one side. And, and, her, and, and this woman what was, oh. so like, I, and I have like the Rucka Rucka Ali song in my head right now that I can't about. Yeah. Sort of like, I can't quite. <laughs> we're not, not going right to play that on. <laughs> it's, um, not, it's a pretty same one. Was there a lot of Rucka? Rucka gets banned from YouTube all the time. Yeah, but yeah, true. this woman who you, you find her name, Dave. Um, so that's where Sargon of Akkad came from. Who's become a big conservative figure. Like he ran for politics in, in, uh, in Britain, uh, out of this, uh, just stemming out of gaming culture. <laughs> like, Anita, 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 something yeah whatever her name was anita but she's actually when candace owens when she first was uh when she was a nobody at this time when she was just like in her early 20s sarkeesian that's what i was like sarkeesian (sighs) so when so when when candace (laughs) tip on my tongue for such a long time i'll eventually get through the story (laughs) sorry (laughs) pipe down over there (laughs) i'll eventually get through the story when candace owens she ended up in this thing in her early 20s i remember her telling the story on rogan when she was on rogan um she she at her school it was like a, a senator's son was like and, and his friends ended up like doing this like massive, like really terrible prank to her or something. And it became big news because it was a Senator's son that did it back wherever she's from, like Ohio or something. I can't remember where she's from. And Anita Sarkeesian, this woman who made her big name out of the Gamergate phenomenon came to her and was like, here's how you can leverage this for your victimhood about over the situation. And you can uh, kind of blow up your your stuff. And Candace ended up saying, "No, I'm not doing that. That's crazy." <laughs> and and then called out Anita Sarkeesian, and that's where Candace Owens rose out of, which is just an interesting side story hmm. parallel to. Basically, what I'm saying is the Gamergate culture phenomenon, everything that happened around, like people kind of coming in after after these young men's video games, it rose into a massive thing with right. the youth, with millennials. It persists today in a lot of the gaming culture around like they hate Kotaku or they like this particular outlet or they like this particular YouTube commentator when it comes to reviewing video games, because part of this was a corruption scandal as well, mm-hmm. where uh, video game companies were paying for better coverage. For positive reviews. Yeah. So like influencers on YouTube, they'd be paying them. And then and it's, it's sort of like, think about like the Amy Robach incident with the Royal family and, uh, and they, they had the Jeffrey Epstein thing, but she was caught on, on hot, hot mic saying that uh, we didn't want to lose access with the Royal family. That's kind of the same right. thing that's happening. Do you want to lose access like, with Microsoft or yeah. Sony or whatever? Yeah. It's like, like Bungie's not going to let us get pre copies of their game to review if we don't give them relatively good scores. Right. I see. <laughs> like that I see. Yep. Interesting. Was there a game that was at the center of Gamergate or was it a lot of different games at one time? <laughs> so, okay. I don't remember. The starting off game was a text-based game made by a female developer who rolled this game out and it got all these like reviews and people started playing it and they're like, this is dog shit. <laughs> <Like>, it was <laughs> text-based? Yeah, it was yeah. like a really bad like investigatory game. I don't... So I, depression uh, quest yes <laughs> depression <laughs> quest you're, you're that sounds terrible it just is. by the name <laughs> what bad concept dude take that brand Play this back game. to the starting be box. sad <laughs> <laughs> so yes there was uh and, and 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 she turned out to be like the uh 
lover or spouse or something of a guy and he and like this That's whole right. scandal in like Kotaku out. which is like a gaming magazine yes yeah, so in a very woke like one right yeah. and, and it's like there was a very firm line that got drawn between wokeness non-woke and then you had all these people who got put into positions of authority within each side to kind of lead the vanguard of each side Anita being one Sargon and the other and then what will really happen That's the right. unique thing about Gamergate and the gaming culture pushback on this is as the left began to shame them as racists and misogynists and all these things. They basically said, we don't care. Your game sucks. And they just, they just, the right. And then it became like consistently over and over and over again, because the, the demographic is overwhelmingly whites and male. Uh, There's other, there are minorities play video games too, but nominally it's mostly white dudes. who play. And and then it became like, well, I guess I'm right wing now. Yeah. And it drove a lot of people to the right wing. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Because the left was coming after their games. Yeah, like 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 it's blowback theory in video games. Right? Yeah. Wow. Like blowback theory is more than just foreign policy. Like it's it's just a psychological phenomenon mm. that exists across society. Right. Well, it's the law of unintended yeah. consequences. Well, yeah, everything has unintended consequences, right? Right. Yeah. It's just some things we don't apply to it. Well, at least we don't see it in that leverage in that in that moment, or we kind of underestimate the ability to. That's what makes a blowback. Hmm. So, uh, video games causing social decay. Where do we come down to? So we're both like, it's a yin to yang sort of thing. It reflects society and it comes back. And I think when you think of art in general, that's what we're doing, right? Where it's got it's like rap lyrics in NWA in the 1990s didn't create police violence, right? It was a reflection of police violence of the 1990s. But there's no doubt that there's also people who draw an inspiration for that who do commit violence. Yeah. I mean, I think that uh, art and culture are inextricably like, you know, linked, uh, right? But I, I actually, for some reason... Um, Seyfedean Amos's Bitcoin standard uh, book in there. He talks about modern art. He has that section where he's just like basically just panning modern art as just like this terrible postmodern thing that is just like totally completely devoid of value. And like looking back at like Renaissance art and like all the care and like craftsmanship that went into crafting those marble sculptures and the paintings and just everything about it was like so amazing. And now we have like a tomato soup can or like a blank canvas. And like, that's what we call art. Like to me, there's just a little, a little thread of that where I'm like, you know, is, is this really like the best that humanity has to offer? Like, is this, yeah. is this really like, we're, we're going to look back on this in yeah. these games in, in 20 to 50 years and go, wow, that, that was really, that well, was really that something. actually transitioned to something I want to talk about is not, all, not all games are made equally uh, because mm-hmm. something that we've started to notice is like, there was like a, a good peak, a solid peak of uh, like really good high quality video games with solid storytelling and all this stuff that I thought were just culture. Like some of the best like story characters I've ever seen are in some video games. Like, um, like what are some examples? The last um, of us. Last of us was a big phenomenon, yeah. which became a TV series, right? Yeah. Like, it, but, like uh, a lot of, well, and, and frankly, like, uh, like the, the Witcher popu- popularity Ooh, before yeah. Witcher's great. Yeah. And Witcher season one was really good and kind of identified with the game. Um, but now it's kind of, they're taking deviations. Castlevania. Great. Arcane. Great. Like these are really good. Uh, like were originally video games became, uh, like Netflix specials and things like that. Right. Mm. Um, but, I think what's happening in the industry right now, it actually goes beyond the storytelling is um, there's like a slot machine effect that is happening and it's being purposely designed in a lot of video games, especially like phone games. Like actually where most of the problems I think are happening in mobile gaming, which the, the, the apps that you can just get on your phone, they're free to play, but there's in-app purchases, right? Where there's straight up 
like psychologists that are working for these big corporate entities that are helping design the games to make them more addictive and getting people to spend more money on them through microtransactions. So just like $1 at a time, $5 at a time, $10 at a time. And like they're free games. So it's really easy to access them. And, but what it's doing is it creates the slot machine effect where it's like, uh, you, your rewards are these loot boxes that give you random prizes and you have like a 1% drop rate of the best prizes. So you want more, but if you bought 500 of these loot boxes for a thousand bucks, 5,000 bucks, whatever it might be in total, you can kind of bypass that time period of getting it. And you're guaranteed on that 500th box to get that knife skin that you want. Right. And they don't actually help you in game either. It's just like a skin that nobody cares about. Like mm, just like know, stylization. It's like, it's like a collector's yeah, item. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. That's a very interesting component. I mean, what, what is the role of, of addiction in video games that, that needs to be addressed as particularly as it pertains to, younger kids Mm -hmm. playing this huge and important. And that's one of the things like we as a generation have to talk to our kids younger about the nature of digital addiction because we just have more digital stuff. Um, And we have to learn from the mistakes of our parents. A lot of kids in the 1980s and 90s grew up in front of a television and it's not been good for us, right? There's probably many bad uh, social phenomena that have happened because of that, that we probably underestimate because the television is an older technology. Um, it's, and it's even worse so when it comes to interactive gameplay because it does trigger more dopamine. It triggers more of everything well, in the brain. Well, and what I was saying is really one of the worst drivers are in mobile games, like on your phone. What are parents giving to their kids you know, they're giving them an iPad. They're not giving them an Xbox, you know, right. early on. So like the kids are just like, and parents are kind of none the wiser of what's going on. And these, these games are purposely addictive. Yeah, and so get your kid on GTA five, not <laughs> yeah, get some solid storytelling. Uh, yeah. No, it, just it, make sure they understand that it's satirical and that they shouldn't <laughs> just beat up police. But, and this is and this. Okay. So let me, let me do one other culture analysis here. You said that, that the rise of modern art is like a symbol for our culture today and like mm-hmm. how it's lower valued than the privacy. No, what it is is a symbol of abundance. We have more art, so there's more divergence and more variety. People are still making Renaissance paintings right now. You can go get them, buy them, see them in, a, in an art gallery somewhere near you, I guarantee you. The exception was the bare dozens of pieces in the Renaissance age are now matched by hundreds of thousands of pieces today. Okay. So the diversion of that is we have so much more abundance of music. Therefore, we have more genres of music. Your ability to access music gets larger, the the more that there's going to be extreme variety. Sure. Same thing with visual arts, because every year we're pumping out tens of thousands of art students only a small section of which will actually become an actual paid artist and actually grow. Absolutely. And then lastly, and video games are the same thing. And Tristan Tate's like, you could do this, but you can go save a princess with your brother. Um, that was a bad impression, but you got what I'm saying. Uh, that idea is in video games all the time, right? You can go play Baldur's Gate 4 and experience a, three. you know, three, and experience a role-playing game where you're a hero going about and you can be as noble as you want to be. Um, you can you can play uh, Cyberpunk 2077 and do police jobs and just beat up bad guys if that's what you want to do. Or in those games, you got the freedom to go be a bad guy. So what does he want? Does he want not to have the freedom to be a bad guy and we should regulate games? I don't think so. I don't Good think question. that's what he thinks. But no, I would I, say that no, some people do very, think They're that. very anarchistic yeah, in that way. Yeah, they're much more talking about the cultural phenomenon, kind of like you are. Yeah, right? yeah, like, you, yeah. like you don't want video games to be banned here, Absolutely but you just have not. concerns yeah. about the cultural aspect. I, and I just right? like, there's this, there's this idea that abundant, because there are things I don't like in the culture, our culture is degrading. I think it's the opposite. And I, I, I just don't think that's true. I mean, I think, I think that you can certainly, I think that's a very fair way to, to frame it. I think one place that that is uh, maybe less apparent, like that just we're seeing more of it. Therefore you're going to see more of the, of the bad stuff also is in architecture. 
Hmm. Right? Like the decline in architecture has, and, and I, I call it a yeah. decline, the shift in stylistic uh, preference in architecture has been pretty remarkable. Go look at, you know, go to Europe, right? And look at any cathedral, you know, castle, any building built by a craftsman. Like they're just exquisite. I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing. Work. I felt that way when I was in Europe a couple months ago. I was like, mm-hmm. and you look at modern, modern art, look at any of the five over one, you know, luxury condo buildings, the one going up right across the street, they all look the same. They're all kind of oddly angular and, and, and boxy and plain. And they don't, they just lack like the, you know, the spirit and life that once existed in that art form. And to me, that, that is probably indicative of a variety of things, not just like, Oh, our culture is going down the drain. Like we need to, you know, sound the alarms about that or anything. It probably has a lot to do with cost, which probably has a lot to do with the purchasing power of money and zoning inflation codes. and what zoning and zoning building regs. And all you can't that build stuff. Renaissance buildings anymore. Why? They're too small. They're too small. Yeah. Explain. The rooms are too small. They're not up to code. Have you ever been in a building in Europe? I'm walking down the hallway like this. I'm like crouching okay, in okay. to go to the bathroom. Like, not, yes, that's even, fair. Even if you go to like the, to but the, you can build bigger Renaissance the, the, styles. But the cost right? is the cost, yeah, right? The, the cost. reason why they were able to build that back then was because they built it small. So you use material resources and they were dangerous and people burned and burned alive in fires. Like there's all kinds of reasons. There's all kinds of trade-offs here. And I'm yes, not saying, but it's the style. I'm not justifying. I'm just saying one of the things that bothers me is people who criticize without creating which not, that's not true for you, especially when it comes to music. You make music all the time. Uh, I, I like, I like, I like create story. I want to create story in order to not just criticize. Cause I think there's a lot of duplication and ridiculousness in our story and culture stories in, a, in the West right now. But with the architecture thing, I, I see these memes and I see the, I see the online culture around this. And oftentimes it's like, we were great once. And it was like, well, yeah, we had some, uh, some assets and some liabilities. This is true all the time. And one of the things, and then they'd make the mistake of like, oh, we don't make good art anymore. It's like, you're just not paying attention. You're just, you're just looking for the signals you don't like. Well, I, sure. I think that there's an element though, too. Like I saw this one, the, the big ball in Vegas was, yes, but yes. like, so like, but that's also architecture. No, but, but like, sure. but what I'm saying is that's like the first thing we've done in a while. Whereas you go to a place like Dubai and it's like, every week there's like a new thing it feels like right right? and like i think that's kind of the feeling that people are getting at is just like we don't build cool shit just to build cool shit anymore in the same Mm -hmm. way that we kind of used to but but if you go to these other cultures because people um, don't know what you're talking about the big sphere yeah the sphere like and it's 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 one thing just to hear about it when you see it when you really look at it and you watch a video of it it's a completely different experience yeah if you go to youtube there's an nbc like walkthrough uh that they did right before it opened so uh, I'll, I'll talk while you do that real quick just uh to comment on that because i think there's there's a vitality question and that i agree with there's a di- big difference between like i don't think our aesthetic sense is what it used to be it's like well that's just those are just taste and a lot of the people are just expressing how they don't see as much of what they prefer anymore but it's like we live in a relatively free society where you can go produce that now. So yes, go do it if you, if you yes, want to. But also I think there's, there's also a loss of skill. There's a loss of trade. I don't right? think that's true. I think there are. Yeah. I mean, Look, you can, you can go to a Mason right now and go request that building. Okay. Like, but how many, exist. but how many Masons are there that understand what it takes to do something of that nature? I'm pretty confident you can get that labor. Yeah. Look, I, 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 this may be misguided or this may be just purely anecdotal, but I do work with contractors, people in the yeah. building trades, right? I I understand there to be a shortage right now of young people coming into Oh, craft. you mean like young people into the trades? Yes. And there's, oh. and there's so many like, uh, you know, aging 
craftsmen sure. that are trying to retire and want to retire, but they're the only one who knows how to do what they do. And there's no one to take their place. Different issue though. You're comparing Renaissance Italy from the 1500s today and saying, oh, there's a loss here. It's like, no, you're comparing people in their sixties who were born in the forties, right? Not, like this is not the I'm same not, I'm thing. I'm not conflating those things at all. Well, I'm, I know saying you're not. That, I'm saying the internet people are I'm, right. Okay. And, the, and this is a different phenomena. Can I, I do agree the that math? they're really quick well, but, <laughs> but you, you can't just go on uh, but that's the thing is like if you're saying the trades the, there's a track reduction trade that i agree with but that doesn't mean there's a difference in the aesthetic sense the aesthetic sense is a choice that other people yes. are making that you're criticizing after the fact as a monday morning quarterback and all i'm saying is like that that idea that aesthetic sense choice is something that you can change to yourself and be Perfect. a creator rather than just a criticizer quite true in that space that's that's the lowest well, hanging fruit like the, what the building- thing is it's, it's much more of like a broader cultural aspect it's not just like individuals aren't doing this and stuff like that like there, it's something about much more of where the culture is right now where it's like like you know you're a hyper individualist and we all kind of are because of the libertarian sense but there is something about common culture and kind of group goals that exist here it's sort of like the narrative around like the space race and like we as america got to the moon together to kind of like like that's kind of the same that's the vibe that i think a lot of these people are going at where it's like we don't do these like big projects like that the same those projects were never done together the, yeah. those projects were the but results it's, it's of individuals that, it's acting. That we all know but it's it's something i know and you're gonna bring in the hyper but i'm saying like that's that's not the point that i'm making no here. i know but, but that's <laughs> the thing is like there is a collectivist dream that is always mm-hmm. false and it is that that there was a time where we're all together and we all work together to do great things no that was never true that's a myth and to be clear always, that's not my argument either. i know i know i'm talking okay. once again i'm talking about the internet yeah. people who are engaging a lot of this and actually are drawing a lot of attention to like a degradation of our cultural argument and I just don't think no, but, but like, I just don't see the what, argument. What I'm getting at is like so like the reason why large basilicas are made in Europe and spread all over across Europe is because there's a large Catholic influence and that is kind of the collective yeah. vibe. Like it's not like every single Catholic was putting bricks together to make this thing. Right. But it's like it, there's a larger like cultural ethos that exists that brings together the momentum to build that type of a thing. And that is I think what a lot of people are kind of and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure people are, t- are articulating it but I think that's what they're kind of trying to get right. at is that 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 big ethos that exists is like not there it's not it's not like there's no willingness to build something cool like that because of that. well actually so, so i think there's a tremendous will i okay so i think the energy degrading part of our culture isn't the energy of the elites to try to make cool stuff right because when they do they make this thing right they make a cool building that does you know super high tech stuff it's the it's Doing that requires a tremendous amount of permission from the government and for permission of people who don't make anything. And if we unleash that, it would immediately change. One of the things I don't like about the kind of like the cultural conservatism here um, is that they're saying that there's like we're at the end of an empire and everything's going to fall and everything has to be this way. And this is like how the the historical fifth generation thing happens and i'm like no that's all these are all choices these are all things that can change and have changed in the past and you're just kind of selectively biasing against those choices that have changed this calculation in the past and could if you if you if you made the argument i think better revitalization of the west happens by people making the decision to revitalize Mm-hmm. But, but the but, problem is trends do exist yes. and that there's not enough people that seem to be wanting to do that. Right. Which, and that is where yeah. you just have large cultural shifts. And like, and, I, and I'm talking about this much more like in a Jungian sense, like a collective right. unconscious is like, there's a, there seems to be this like unconscious or like this collective cultural ethos that exists that is pushing people in a direction. And you're going to have individuals that deviate from that, but it's like, 
like the center of the bell curve is in a certain direction. You're going to have the outliers yeah. and like everybody's individuals and they're all making individual actions. Right. But at the end of the day, the herd is still the herd. And that is, that is ultimately kind of where things are moving. Unless you have major outliers who tend to be the fringe, like this is a very renegades history of the United States. Yeah. The fringe is usually what moves the window. Like, or like, you know, we were talking about in the debate highlight is like Vivek is moving the Overton window of, of, of allowable political conversation. Culture is the same type of way. There's like allowable culture that exists and the outliers are typically going to be the ones that move it but the herd is still the herd and that is where the current trend is moving right i think there's there's a the lack of energy in the west can and like i mean like the nietzschean sense right there's like a lack of identity the lack of like this is what we stand for not just what we stand against the lack of uh of any kind of value that's not like oh if you're a victim you're a good guy and oppressors are bad guys like that kind of simple non-energetic um you know, self-flagellating rather than self-creating sort of energy is real. And I totally agree with that. Uh, it's just that um, what I see is mostly people who are of the political uh, conservative kind of like persuasion um, coming in and using that dynamic as a way to say, oh, this is how, if we just had the government in charge of morality more, we wouldn't have this problem. Or if we, I don't, I don't know what they want, right? I don't really want, no, other, mo- other most, than, of their, most of them are just neo-reactionaries, right? Yes. Like that, like that's, you know, a lot of people get a lot of clicks by complaining about things. Yes. And that's just, and, and then all of their audience is like, yeah, that does suck. Right. Like, yeah. and, and that's, <laughs> we used and, to and be a we culture. Spiral, we and, used yeah, to be a people. We used to be a people. And, yeah. and, and then it spirals out of control. And it's like, just like the Roman empire, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, like, right. and then all, all that stuff. Like, never mind the slavery it. part. Oh yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm the slavery yeah. part. Oh. But like, and, and like, there are a lot of elements like the rise and fall of civilization. There's trends that exist there. Like, like there are like yeah. r- rhyming patterns to history that are, we should be very cautious of. Like there's a lot of things like that, but um, remember is like most of political dialogue and most influential culture exists out of deep nihilism because what drives the most clips t- typically are just complaining about things and hating on your enemies. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. so like complaining about things, not being good. Like you don't, the creation of things so that's a lot harder. It's a, it's a lot harder to get clicks by creating things, right? So what is it about our culture that makes complaining about things more engaging than thinking about self-creation or well, things that are a little bit higher purpose? Yes. <laughs> Go. Um, I am, I'm very much Nietzschean in this regard, where I think that there's something deeply embedded with the collective moral framework of society that has built up over 2000 years that, um, basically praises victimhood and like a slave mentality. Um, it's being a creator is not virtuous in the moral ethos of our society anymore. Mm-hmm. It kind of was like, like in a sense, the American framers, the founders and like the, the general collective spirit of America in the beginning was kind of like the crazy renegades that were crazy enough to go hop on a boat and go to the other side of the world. And, and it was basically like a suicide mission in a sense. Like, so those were like the masters of the world in a sense where like they had like a master ideology to them. They had, they had a very like creative go getter entrepreneurial spirit that's died away in America in a lot of ways. But I think the collective spirit across the globe, in a sense, like especially through like Western Europe over 2000 years has really very much degraded to the point where the masters are evil. We have to bring them down to our level. We have to, we have to pull them down. It's not about rising us up. It's about pulling them down. So we're all equal egalitarian. We are all, you know, equity, yeah, equity, mm-hmm. all that stuff comes from it. And it creates this nihilist, nihilistic death cult essentially, which is just like, we, we gotta, we gotta tear it all down. We gotta, tear, it's not about building anymore. It's about tearing it all down. I think that's a deep embedded piece of our culture right now. Yeah. So it's the, everywhere. the idea, and like just to kind of unpack some of those things. So when he says slave morality versus mass morality, what he means is that 
the origins of Christendom is, you know, a Jewish religion that became Christianity that takes over Rome as a new set of values. So from the Nietzschean perspective, it's like that there was a set of values that inverted the moral order. So like we're being oppressed by this foreign people and they're the bad guys and we're the good guys. And we're good because we hold together what's good and they're bad because they're forcing against us. So the oppressors, bad victims, good. While the, um, the master like morality that he's kind of talking about isn't that it's good to dominate other people. That's not what he's saying, right? It's people not what kind of misread Nietzsche by that. What it says is that it's kind of like how the British, like it's kind of like how we don't notice most countries being in America, but most countries notice us. Yeah. Right. So we don't notice Italy, but if you go to Italy, they know what's going on in America. Right. So it's not that Americans have a master morality. It's just like our landscape is kind of dominated by that framework um, to in our relationship to the world, right? The British don't care about the Irish. The British are focused on bringing civilization to the world during the uh, height of the British Empire. They have and, a and the Irish ideology. was one of their projects. Yeah, right. <laughs> mm. Like the Irish really cared about the, what the British thought about them. And there's like, oh, these British jerks drinking their tea. And they're like, <laughs> like all that stuff. And the British are like, it's kind of like that meme. Like, what, what is it? It's from a show. It's like, I don't think about you at all. Yeah, yeah. You're a terrible human being. It's like, it's I don't like, think, I don't about, think you about you at all. <laughs> <laughs> that's, exactly, that's right. what it is, right? <laughs> right. Where, and, and, and that's like the slaves are just stewing in their resentment. And, and it drives their thinking it drives their worldview right yeah and it, it, well i mean it's appealing in a different way i think to to the ego potentially right it's like a satisfaction of like what well, I'm, I'm i've been wronged because i'm not getting something that i deserve to have been given and it's easier to, to dwell in that than to take personal responsibility perhaps individually and and with a great level of humility and understanding that i don't deserve anything other than the things that i'm willing to work for and and it would cheat. Well, right, right. So like, hold on. So so like, I'm not saying that Christianity, for example, to like unpack that. I'm not saying Christianity necessarily makes you a slave, right? I'm saying if it's a set of values that can be inverted that way, mm-hmm. right? When if you look at a lot of Christian history, is conquering Europe by both arms and on terms of like missionaries and like courage and bravery and building new things and like it can express itself with energy it just has to it just has to have a framework and orientation to these things that what they care about what they emphasize so there was a time when we were largely a christian nation that built lots of stuff and did lots of cool things it was our orientation to threat that wasn't oh my threat is too much i need to be safe and protected it was no i am strong enough all the individuals are our culture and society are strong enough to go take on the outside world and transform it to make it better for us to live in that well, orientation is what determines slave or master in mm, my opinion and mm-hmm. one of the reasons why nietzsche i think is such an impressive thinker and why more people should take him seriously and not do the pop culture stuff that completely bastardizes everything he said is because his his big thing is perspectivism it's to put your put your mind in the eyes of like a different group of people and kind of think about things from their view and understand what they're doing. So like, think about it right now, put your, like, you know, we have the Roman culture memes, like how many times do you think about the Roman you know, empire falling and all that mm-hmm. stuff like that? That was a big TikTok trend. But like the, the takeaways that you can have from the Romans at the time and correlating this, and nobody talks about this and correlating it to today is what was happening during those like last 400 ish years of Roman of the Roman empire was you had the patriarchs of the old society, patriarch, feminism, patriarch, and that, that all exists there, right? <laughs> the same words that we use. Um, and they were kind of like the staunch conservatives of, 
like the old era of the Roman Empire. It's like, we have these values. We are sons of Jupiter. We are all this stuff. And Jupiter is kind of like the supreme God because it's like the warlike God of the of the era of the Ram and all this stuff. It's like, it's all the symbology that exists there. And then you have these new groups that are kind of coming up through the Christian movement, uh, p- kind of post-Paul, but like re- reading Paul is very useful in understanding what was going on during his time, but then over the next few hundred years. And these groups are like these like psychedelic hippies that are talking about like freedom and love and all this stuff. And it's like very weird to Roman culture and they're popping up all over across the empire in these like little pockets. So you have these patriarchs being like, there's like these strange cultists coming up talking about like love. And it was like also a hyper feminized movement. There's a lot of women. It's like women and downtrodden and poor people. Like that's the, it's like a Marxist revolt that's happening in, it's like Antifa coming in. They're tearing down old statues of, of like of the old Roman heroes in all the major cities, like all that stuff's happening. And I'll think about that what's happening today we're tearing down our all our old war heroes from like the civil war and the revolutionary war we're like oh we can't have thomas jefferson on the name of things it was like you know like we're doing the like the exact same type of stuff is happening and the conservatives are like i want to go back to the way things were and then and then the the lefties are like tear it all down you're like (laughs) it's the same type of dynamic that's occurring here that's the that's the parallels that should be taken from the roman empire and uh, from a cultural basis so like the art part of that that's why i'm trying to say like that the art part of that is you create like like find the next thing that is beautiful rather than just being the the internet troll that just says everything is bad and we're all going to collapse and die together yeah right that's the thing that that's what i don't like all right or another one is um that i see all, online all the time is i'm going to go and and go farm and it's like you've never carried an irrigation you know pipe in your life Try doing that in February in Montana and they tell me about farming how great it is <laughs> yeah, yeah you know like have you ever taken care of sheep in the springtime you know what that smells like <laughs> you don't know so okay so the the uh so that's sort of like everything's falling apart and i'm like oh i'm gonna get attention on the internet for like fainting on a couch about how bad things are that's what irritates me because it's exactly the opposite set of virtues that we need it's not avoidance going off and living on your own you know in the woods it's not and it's not like just like oh how shame wouldn't it be great if we were just in the renaissance italy or something like so that. so what you're saying is the pr- appropriate response to gta 6 is homestead hero where we make a video <laughs> game about cool. how cool it is to go take care of sheep and carry that's called, that's called farmville yeah stardew valley, <laughs> stardew you can play, valley. we already made that game. that's one other thing that's the abundance question all that is also being made yeah about this moment. That's what's so cool about the Ronald. You don't like GTA 5? Fine. Go, you, there are many games out there that, that you can go play that are that will fit those values. I, I mean, a lot, of, a lot of what sparked my interest in things like history and understanding different cultures and stuff was like playing Civilization back in the day. Like, yeah. Civ, like Civ yeah. 3. Yeah. Like you're, you're thinking about geopolitics and trading with allies and making enemies and going to war and you're learning big city names and you're like, oh, this is a cool culture. And then you study. I was like, oh, Babylon's awesome. I was like, I just built the Hanging Garden. I want to learn more about the Hanging Garden. And then I ended up doing a, hang, a project on the hang, Hanging Garden in school because of it. Like it was all sparked from a, a video game. It was like... <laughs> nice. Yeah, like, like there, there is value to be had in these, for right? sure for sure and more of those and less of the ones where you just do stupid shit hey i want to look at this fear thing though this is really sweet Speaking <laughs> I, I, of, I just figured bennett would have it going on in the background yeah, when we were talking about it, it. it yeah. kind of was it was just, it it was just sort of a, though it, it, so uh, let's let's do the cultural interpretation of the sphere and we'll, we'll use this to cap our our section on culture and gta 6 as we've already gone an hour fellas yeah i know and we need we need to talk yeah, about and we promised two other stories oh god damn it <laughs> we didn't promise anything we do what we want <laughs> All right, so the in Las Vegas they made this this building and it's just absolutely beautiful like cinematic experience 
using LEDs, right? Because that's what allows them to curve it. Yeah, it's like pixel and what, pixel screens with LEDs. Yeah, and what it can do with perspective and what it can do with a high quality video uh, experience is really it's really quite amazing. And it's you know the the, the tragedy. I mean, the, obviously, the upside is that it we've made something beautiful again, something that the West can be proud of as like a first, like an achievement that you can't find anywhere else on the planet. But keep in mind that we used to do this all the time and we can again. One of the reasons why they can build in Las Vegas and not other places is because Las Vegas is a growth mindset city. It's like constantly being infused with new people who want to build stuff, do stuff. And additionally that it's got a lot of entrepreneurs who go there and have assets there and have always been pushing there. So, um, it's Imagine. obviously replacing existing building. Imagine yeah. playing GTA six on that thing. <laughs> <laughs> immersive experience. Total immersive experience. Only $2 billion. To well, build it. well the, like the thing is, cause like it, it, I think it's useful to compare to what other major, like frankly, city States are doing. Like there's like these pockets of these city States where the growth mindset is so hyper. And like, that is uh, like Dubai or mm. Singapore. Like, I, I, I follow a lot of people from Malaysia and because the cook because of crypto and I see some of the pictures of things in Malaysia I am shocked by how much like of a growth spirit there is in Malaysia right now mm. it's like that place is gonna that place is gonna be popping off and you get and in my mind I'm thinking like third world Asian country Malaysia and I'm just mm. like some of the stuff I'm seeing come out coming out of there is crazy mm. and like and that's why when I saw this I was like yeah we need more of this because I, I keep seeing the buildings that are going up in Dubai like these crazy structures like new new ways of doing architecture and I'm like wow that is insane it's like we just don't do that here in America, and I think that's what people are feeling. Right? Hmm. I, I, I do. I, it's like they're reaching out for the unattainable spirit that they can't get to. Right? To yeah. be very Ayn Rand about it, like there's a thing that we're missing, and it's like that individual's ability to go out and have a vision and execute it and change something substantial that contributes to our world. Uh, and that's where they're just, you know, where, where they're right. It's just they're not orientated to it properly to solve the problem. So I put in for fish tickets to go see him at the Sphere in April. Whoa. Yeah, four That's nights. Very cool. We, we were actually just, we were like in Vegas like a month. Me and Dave were in Vegas like a month before uh, before um, it opened. The, before it opened, and we were just like on the street, like, "What is that thing?" <laughs> and, and then and then I see on Twitter like the Sphere, and I was like, "Oh my god, that's it!" We're so close. Um, I really hope I get those tickets. If you are a small business owner looking for exponential growth, you have to connect with Adam Thune at Intellectual Patriots. He will revolutionize your business game and help you get to the next level. Adam can streamline your business practices and advertising strategies to improve your bottom line. His expertise in data engineering means he can build you the systems you need to collect and analyze market data. His mission is to provide you with invaluable insights to fuel your success. From grant writing and business proposals to digital systems integrations, even AI management, Intellectual Patriots is a one-stop shop for cutting-edge solutions. Don't wait another second. Visit intelpatriots.com to learn more. That's I-N-T-E-L patriots.com. All right. So talking about internet and gaming, uh, Twitch is a gaming website where you can go on and watch other people play video games. But it's actually, it started as a gaming platform. It's like (laughs) some, some, some of it is road right over. No, but like the, the, the thing about Twitch is a lot of people think about it from it being a gaming experience, but actually like a large amount of the content on there is actually IRL experience in real life experiences. Um, so it's just, it's just like a live streaming platform Mm -hmm. now. Yeah. And Um, people play board games on it and they just sit there and they do talk radio time for talk like just podcasts that do lives on yeah, there. Yeah, we should get stuff. on Twitch sometime. That'd be fun. Oh, okay, oh, sure. Uh, yeah. Let's grow the other stuff first, I think. And then we can, then we can go to the bathroom. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be right back. But, uh, but so one of the interesting, uh, a very interesting story that I came across this week was um, they're pulling out of South Korea. Um, 
And I was like, oh, that's weird. Why are they doing that? And I, and I listened to a live stream from the, uh, the CEO over there, uh, Dan Clancy. And he was explaining their decision to do this because, frankly, there's a lot of South Korean, like a, a lot of people think of South Korean gaming, like StarCraft and Dude, stuff like those, like all the best players the come. Yeah. But like, so they're having to pull out. And the reason is, is because of net neutrality regulations. What there. is net neutrality? But uh, let me, let me describe the business side of this, of what, what happened is what Dan Clancy was explaining is that because of the new regulations there, the, the better that Twitch does the higher market, like the more people that are watching there, the more it costs them and the less profit they make. So actually, so they're like de-incentivized from actually growing in South Korea because of the way that the regulatory framework works. Hmm. The more internet traffic they go, the more that they have to pay because of it. Um, like to, to an extreme degree, uh, like, like disproportionately. Okay. So, cause I mean, that, that doesn't sound too out of proportion, right? It's like, if you use a lot of bandwidth, Sorry. you you have to pay for that bandwidth, right? But this is this is different than that. Sorry, I, I misexplained that. It, yes, so like there's a thing about about priority access, but the thing about the thing in uh, in Korea is they tried to equalize everything. So like in order to, I'm not exactly sure on the actual architecture of this here, but in in the attempt to equalize everything, they basically made it so that these like outside people that are coming in with these large platforms, um, they basically have to do all this extra backend stuff to be able to support the equalization of the internet traffic type of stuff that's going on. I don't know the exact uh, dynamics so of that. If you require more, you have to pay in more so that you can provide more for the people who aren't you. Yeah, yeah, you're paying for essentially other people. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, that, okay. that's the thing it's that a I'm saying. Redistribution, that's, that's and that was the supposed virtue of net neutrality. So right. instead of saying, that. "Oh, uh, we, we're getting a ton of traffic," we have to pay more to support the traffic we're getting, right. which is yes. the standard in America, right? That's what Netflix was doing that triggered the net neutrality thing because they were just paying ISPs more and they're and getting priority, right? And so what everyone else was saying was like, "You, you're not, you, you can't do that because then my small website won't get necessarily as much as they might otherwise." And so therefore, what we want is a regime where you still have to pay more, but you're paying more supports me getting so, more access. Yeah, Does like, that make like sense? you're competing, you're, you're, you're paying for your like competitors, essentially. When you, when you say priority, what priority are they getting? Basically, if there's unused bandwidth, they get that before other folks do. That's which, usually gotcha. what I mean. Which is what gotcha. happened in America was, was Netflix was hogging like 80% of total bandwidth of like of all internet traffic every evening for a while there. And so they were paying ISPs to give them more priority because it only makes sense. Sure. But what's happening here in South Korea with net neutrality is like, you can't actually do that now. And you're, you're essentially equalizing everything and you're trying to, and you're paying for other people. Wow. So Twitch was getting a ton of traffic in South Korea. They're having to pay basically other people, uh, other content providers or something, however that mechanism exactly worked in order to continue to do business there it was costing them too much money. And so they're like, it, this is a bad business decision. Right. We're going to bail. It's important to note that, that net neutrality was an issue that was brought by Google, Facebook, or Meta now, but Facebook at the time, and other large internet companies because they didn't like what was going on. Right, So they did this huge push to say, if you, we don't pass net neutrality and completely change this entire situation so that it's all equal and everyone gets the same and trying to appeal to those values, if we don't do that, then every tweet is going to cost 30 cents. And if you're going to... It's the end of the internet oh, as we know it. Oh, yeah. No. Wikipedia had this big thing about how is the end of the internet and like how everything was going to get more expensive and more problem. And then we wouldn't get... There wouldn't be lots of areas that are underserved or, you know, racially not 
as white are never going to get internet, et cetera, et cetera. That's how they kept, that's how they messaged it for years. One guy, another noble individual moment, one guy named Ajit Pai, who was uh, Trump's uh, FCC, FCC uh, chairman or like appointee to that board to manage that bureaucracy basically said, no, we're not going to do that. In fact, we're going to repeal the kind of halfway steps that the Obama administration made towards net neutrality. And they rolled all that stuff back. And guess what's happened since then? And it has become cheaper, more abundant, and there's just better access for overall bandwidth for everybody. Meanwhile, where they did implement net neutrality, like South Korea, you have Twitch, one of the largest companies in the world, pulling out. One of the wow. largest internet companies in the world. Wow. Well, and, and this was the thing is like, if you remember back in the day, uh, the Netflix phenomenon, you know, killing black Blockbuster. Like, I remember I was using Netflix back when they used to mail DVDs to you. Yeah. <laughs> and, right. then, and then the internet, uh, then oh, the yeah. streaming stuff became a thing. And like, everybody hopped onto Netflix and it was such a big deal. And, and it makes sense. They were paying priority to ISPs in order to, because like what, what started happening was so many people are on Netflix that it was bogging everything down Mm -hmm. you were having to wait like a minute of buffering before you could like continue your movie right Mm -hmm. um and so the free market solution here was netflix pays isps to help expand their stuff and and it allows uh, more innovation and more architecture to be built around this and then it starts to make the internet actually a better place because they are just following market signals and paying more for the for the access that they are taking because they're literally like 80% on a given evening. That makes sense. Like it's crazy. Yeah. Um, so like that was the free market solution, but they were like, we don't want to pay anymore. So we're going to go to the government. Of course. And then we got to change this. And then so much, and it got to the point where they started to realize if net neutrality would have gone in, it would have been being effectively what you were talking about there, where you'd probably have to start paying for tweets and stuff where a lot of these big entities, they actually became anti net neutrality after they realized what was actually going to happen. <laughs> yeah. hmm. So like Netflix, actually, they basically were the, the catalyst for the law, for the lobbying efforts on this. And then they ended up being anti like years yeah. down the road. What because, is this? Oh, God. I was just going to ask what, what does this move for Twitch mean for their creators in South Korea? It was cool. When I was watching the Dan Clancy live stream, um, I was kind of surprised by this because like this is a thing that they didn't really have to do. They gave they gave the South Korean creators um, until like February 28th or something like end of February uh, to like you're going to have to get to other platforms, but we're going to help you make the transition to other platforms. Mm. So they're they're giving because like normally there's a lot of rules around like you can't you can't stream on two different pl- websites at once. Like on our competition, you can't do YouTube and, uh, and a Twitch unless you have like a special partnership and all this stuff. But they're saying like, no, like we want to give you and help you give tools and, and, and share with you what other South Korean uh, creators are doing to be able to transition their audience to help you over the next three months, tra- uh, train your audience to understand that you're going to be at this place. And maybe even after when people are coming to your channel, look to you, we'll provide a link to your new, pr- your new place, your new residence, basically. Hmm. So it's very cool of Twitch to do that for yeah. their creators. Like um, it was interesting thinking about the business side of it where he was saying like, you know, we could have prolonged this and made it like a two year thing of like just slowly diminishing creators and then creating like perverse monetary things like that. But we thought that it's actually better to do it quicker because like it's harder to train over a long period of time and we, it's, it's better to make a big deal of it now so that your audience knows what, what's going on and, right. and can go with you. So yeah. it was cool that they actually thought through it strategically in ways to help them. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of businesses I feel like wouldn't do that. I feel like there's been a recent shift in that culture. Like I mentioned Emmett Shear in who the former CEO of Twitch when we were talking about the open AI thing, cause he came in and was CEO for like half a day <laughs> at open AI. <laughs> yeah. um, because um, Twitch was kind of like 
they had bad business structure for a while, but there's like this new guy that's come in that is like really innovating over there now. So well, well it's, it's, it's just interesting from the corporate side of it that hmm. it's kind of interesting to watch the money side. Anything else to add there before we pivot to our final story for the episode? Let's do it. No, David. I mean, let's I'm glad we live in the hellscape that is the post net new neutrality. Yeah. Not going into effect. I was going to say and, 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 and once again, Ajit Pai faced personal harassment. They went after his kids. They went after his home. They went after the dude in an insane way over a stupid public policy thing that was completely idiotic and he was proven absolutely correct and he never got an apology. Mm. And that's oftentimes how in our society right now, that is the best that you can hope for for doing the right thing. Mm. So that guy is an absolute hero and he should be thanked. All right. So and I just want to add to it's just like it was such a third rail issue. Like Mm -hmm. if you were against net neutrality, like you are supporting the end of civilization. Like, like that is like legitimately what congressmen were saying on the house floor at the time. (laughs) Like it's the end of the internet as we know it. Like you are a God awful person. Like I remember I had friends that were just like, so like conservatives too. Like it it ended up in the conservative ethos. Like it was like, it didn't matter what political side you were on left, right. Like net neutrality is the thing. It was like, like I, I, people don't realize how important it was at the time and how much, uh, how much like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? How much of like a pillar it was. Yeah. The mental mind space yeah. of it was, it, it's, it's sort of, it's sort of like you have to support Ukraine no matter what. Like yes. it's, it's like that yes. crazy. It was a storm moment. Yeah. Right? I like that. I, I, it was I, one of those moments. Yeah. The IMF put out propaganda to explain to the plebs what inflation is. They didn't mention the money supply. I wonder why. The Biden administration bypassed 26 federal laws to build additional border wall in South Texas. Somehow they still managed to blame Republicans for this horribly racist act. A Pentagon official was charged by federal authorities with promoting and furthering an illegal dogfighting ring in Maryland. The Republican caucus did not appreciate the characterization. For all these stories and more, join the Discord. To let us know what we should cover in the next episode of Human Reaction. So uh, what happened this week? So the House Education Committee came out and they said, uh, we're going to bring in all the college professors. Um, We haven't really covered it. Like when Israel Hamas after October 7th happened, we've really focused on what's going on in Israel. Um, Our like the domestic conversation around this, I've largely wanted to avoid uh, due to just just like the the unproductive minefield that it is when I think educating folks about the specifics of the situation going on in Israel is more productive. But uh, our number one fan, <laughs> or at least an, a number one fan, uh, came out and was like very interested in, and wanted to see the story. And, uh, and I appreciate the, uh, the spur to talk about it. So uh, the Ivy League presidents of Harvard, Penn State, Princeton, and others uh, testified to the House Education Committee. With that, they basically came out and said, you know, well, actually, we have a three-minute video here that we could we could jump into uh, to kind of get a sense of what the language game that is happening with this. Uh, but a lot of the Republicans on the committee had already decided that they were, you know, that they were insufficiently doing something. Um, and it gets into, I think, a lot of the details of speech codes of campus free speech, and then additionally to that, like it kind of teases out what do we mean by very specific terms. That I think we should dive into because it'll be helpful for people, uh, mental model wise. Does M- at MIT, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate MIT's code of conduct or rules regarding bullying and harassment? Yes or no? If targeted at individuals not making public statements. Yes or no? Calling for the genocide of Jews does have, not constitute bullying and harassment? I have not heard calling for the genocide for Jews on our campus. But you've heard chants for intifada. I've heard chants. 
which can be anti-Semitic depending on the context when calling for the elimination of the Jewish people. So those would not be according to the MIT's code of conduct or rules? That would be um, investigated of, as harassment if pervasive and severe. Ms. McGill, at Penn, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Penn's rules or code of conduct? Yes or no? If the speech turns into conduct, it can be harassment. Yes. I am asking, specifically calling for the genocide of Jews, does that constitute bullying? That gives you a pretty good sense of how it went. So I want to note some language that got brought up. So one of the things they said was anyone calling for an intifada is necessarily, was what the Republicans are implying here, are necessarily calling for the genocide of Jews. What is an intifada? Do you guys know? I don't know. It was uh, like a call for rebellion in like Egypt, wasn't it? Well, Arabic, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like it it wasn't, it doesn't specifically come from like an Egyptian revolution. uh, Intifada is an Arabic word, literally meaning a noun, tremor, shivering, or shuddering. It is derived from an Arabic term, natifada, which means to shake, to shake off or get rid of. As a dog might shrug off water or as one might uh, shake off sleep uh, or as dirt from one's sandals. So the history of it goes back to 1952, Kingdom of Iraq, when the socialist communist parties took over the streets to protest the Hashemite monarchy and inspiration of the 1952 Egyptian revolution. Okay, that's what I was yep. thinking, yeah. So what does this mean? Is it necessarily anti-Semitic? Well, they do have the first and second intifadas, which are Palestinian protest movements, um, which have both violent and nonviolent components to it. So I think this is a bit of a language game that they're trying to set, make this association. Well, it's Palestinian, therefore violent, uh, which isn't always necessarily true. And I, and I kind of sympathize somewhat with, a, with the, uh, with the uh, college professors here on trying to navigate the complexities of this situation with their speech codes at the same time, which is kind of difficult. So to get into the speech code part of that, you have conduct versus speech. Conduct is like the things that you do and speech is the things that you say. There's, there's oftentimes in speech codes, and, and uh, let me rewind real quick just to kind of catch everyone up on how this works. So you have um, code annotated, which is like your laws. Well, back to your code annotated, your constitution. So constitution, laws, and the implication of those laws are also code, like speech code, which is like your rules on campus. So you have your constitution for your state, you have your laws of your state, and then you have the codes of your campus to regulate behavior. And each one should be a little bit more finer than the one before it, right? Big abstracts in constitution, a little more definition in your laws, and then your speech code should be very particular every time. What are you doing back there, Bennett? <laughs> wow, the pastrami I, 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 is going those, right through those you. Probably, that's not, probably not picking up on the mics. Oh, okay. <laughs> we'll cut that out. <laughs> so. Wow, that's probably in the mics. I was just saying. Yeah. Mike's are probably catching that. But okay. Well, we're stand just by. Have just to power just it. Yep. Apologies, wow. audience. There's someone who's doing something in the background quite loud. Then it will just cut it out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> the codes is what they're talking here is where you, you got to be very careful that your speech codes, like the thing to regulate student behavior, to prevent things like harassment from trickling into censorship. In fact, I've worked uh, repeatedly in Montana to pass several bills to address this in Montana code because there were several areas and you check out the Foundation for Individual Rights and in Education, what they were called now, the Foundation for Individual Rights and Education. No, it's no longer and expression is yeah. now there. They're now a general free speech where they used to be just for campus free speech. Um, Fire has an entire assessment website where it ranks colleges based upon how their speech codes impact 
freedom of speech. So what's happening here is what they're saying is, well, our speech, we don't want to regulate speech. So we have these codes that prevent us hopefully from doing that. Harassment and pervasive harassment is often defined as pervasive and severe. So what you don't want to have is harassment is this. We're both tabling on campus for our student groups. You're the socialists. I'm the conservatives. Oh, why am I the socialists? Well, just for now. You're the most hippie. Okay. Sure, Ginger. Yeah, because you, you apply your deodorant different than the rest of us. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> the audience doesn't need to know that, uh, Dave. Well, yeah. Uncle G's pit I don't know what that means. Uncle G's pit paste. A little, little, little uh, product drop coming to you soon. <laughs> Get them as a sponsor. No we'll free ads. <laughs> so... Um, and, and we're at, we're tabling and I, I start like throwing insults at you and stuff like that. There's a big difference between me just saying like, hey, those bunch of socials over there, aren't they silly? And here's what I don't like about their phenomenon versus me saying, you're an idiot. You're stupid. I hate you. You should die. That sort of thing. Those are the, at some point that becomes pervasive, severe, repeated is often also a thing, right? Just like one insult's different than if I'm following you around, right? So you have these speech codes that are then always in conflict with, uh, with, um, with censorship, right? And so the question here is, is this a call? It, it, it are, there's two questions here. One, are things like, we need an antifada or antifada, antifada, like saying that, or are things like from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Are those actual calls for genocide or not? That's, a, that's really what's being debated here. And the what the campus administrators are, for most parts, doing um, are avoiding the conversation in general, just saying that, well, this is what the codes say. The codes say that, you know, there has to be a real and present danger to somebody or repeated and severe harassment. It can't just be on a student group having the wrong political opinion about the nature of Palestine versus Israel relations. Um, that's what they're trying to do. Are they succeeding? No, no, they not. They kind of screwed it up. Anyway, if you ask me, but mm. yeah. Cause, cause they're trying to defend the speech codes, but they're not what they're, what they're, but they don't do it consistently. Uh, they, they uh, for example, we have this great tweet from Jonathan Haidt, which is kind of the reversal of this, mm-hmm. uh, which is, uh, he, what he says is as a professor who favors free speech on campus, I can sympathize, sympathize with the quote nuanced answers given by you university presidents yesterday about whether calls to attack or wipe out Israel violate campus free speech policies. What offends me is that since 2015, universities have been so quick to punish, to punish quote, microaggressions, end quote, including statements intended to be kind. Even uh, if even one person from a favored group took offense, the presidents are now saying, quote, Jews are not a favored group. So offending or threatening Jews is not so bad for Jews. It all depends on context, end quote. We might call this a, du- a double standard institutional anti-Semitism. Um, and, and, and basically, he's calling for consistency right here. He's like, if you're going to do microaggressions, you have to do microaggressions here. If, free, if speech is violence, that is definitely violence now. What is strange is that conservatives are the ones who are now saying that speech is violence in this way, unless there's a real threat. Right. And we want to draw a distinction there. Right. I don't think it's a non-zero chance that some of these pro-Palestinian groups could have violent individuals within them and that the university should play a role in making sure that Jewish students are safe. Of course, Uh, the question is whether or not like the Harvard statement that is offensive and and, and I think terribly said and not something I agree with. for the, you guys, we didn't really cover the Harvard letter. The Harvard letter basically came out like the day after the uh, the attacks said that Israel is the only one responsible for the attacks on October 7th. 
Harvard like institutionally no, issued this? No, a student group. Oh, okay. Harvard that's right. student. Yeah, it was like a collection of student groups that uh, put yeah. it together. And and it's like and it's like the the Republicans are calling for the university to censor them for this political opinion. It, and it, it's like it's a wrong political opinion. But it is an opinion, and they're not necess- They're not saying we're going to go firebomb this this synagogue. They're saying we think the situation on the other side of the globe is should be interpreted differently. Yeah. So yeah. the the Harvard letter it was authored by the Harvard undergraduate Palestine Palestine Solidarity Committee, and it was originally co signed by thirty three other student organizations. Um, and this got so, so much traction that Meta actually suspended it from their platforms, too. So hmm. it expanded out into the ether quite a bit there. Right. So I, I, I want to be clear. I think um, from the pal- from the river to the sea, Palestine shall be free can be interpreted as anti-Semitic. But that's the language of nature or the nature of language. If I say something, you don't know my intent in saying it. Mm-hmm. What I could mean by saying that is that I think there should be a two-state solution. That also tracks onto that language pattern. Now, if what you hear in two-state solution is necessarily Israel is destroyed, then you are creating a political consequence, and we're having a political discussion at that point, because that's what the state solution question should be. It isn't, or do you support Israel and therefore and not anti-Semitic, or are you anti-Semitic and therefore support Hamas? Those are completely false choices. Right. What it should be is a political discussion about how best to create peace between Israel and Palestine and yeah, what to do and, about And this Hamas. is probably a very postmodern view, but it's like, and I said this a couple episodes ago where a lot of these things are just battles over language. It's the same, it's the same thing. Like everything's racist or everything's like a Nazi or like black lives matter versus blue lives matter. Like, you know, like on your side, if you're the one using this thing, you're kind of using it. You're trying to make it like the best case scenario of mm-hmm. the phrase. And then your enemy is trying to make it the worst case scenario of the phrase. And they're trying to paint you as a villain or paint people as a hero. Like it's all, it, it's all muddy waters and it's just a, a nature of the beast with political warfare. Right. Yeah. And, but there's good actors. There's good faith actors who are not trying to characterize you with motives that aren't your motives. And then there's the opposite, right? So the language battle is real, right? I'm not disagreeing with you there, Kyle. I do think that there is just a distinguishment between people who faithfully reproduce the, the arguments of their opponents and those who intentionally don't, mm-hmm. right? Who straw man their opponent and say, oh, the way to have the opinion that there should be some other policy other than the Likud party's policy, which also says from the river to the sea, Israel will be one state which implies a genocide of the Palestinians. And once you realize that all of a sudden the, the dynamic changes a little bit, but, but if you're saying that there's only good guys and bad guys here, you're missing the whole thing and you're never going to get to peace. So those, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of in the, I like where Jonathan Heights at here. I think at a minimum there should be this, this really points out the hypocrisy of DEI diversity, uh, equity, inclusion. equity, inclusion, and then additionally, it was actually brought up in the in the in the committee. And one more one more video to react to the the rep, one rep uh, really brings receipts on this on how um, for the last couple of years uh, at these universities, these specific universities, people who have had academic disagreements about trans issues have been censored and kicked off campus. While yeah, obviously you know at the same time they're very tolerant of this very radical speech about Jews. As you are no doubt aware, prominent alumnus Bill Ackman tweeted you a letter on Sunday. And in that letter, and I have that tweet, I guess that's the beauty of social media. You can get those things. In that letter, he highlighted two cases of Harvard faculty members 
who were canceled because of views deemed too controversial for your campus. Tyler J. Vanderweel was deemed guilty for those crimes related to his views on marriage and abortion. And then Carol, uh, Carol Hoven, an evolutionary biologist, was forced to resign because she stated that a person's sex is biological and binary. Mr. Ackerman's letter also included quotes from a number of faculty highlighting the culture of fear that pervades Harvard's campus for those with views out of step with campus orthodoxy. And so, President Gay, in what world is a call for violence against Jews protected speech but a belief that sex is biological and binary isn't. Thank you for your question. So from the moment that our students arrive on campus, whether it is to begin their Harvard journey as an undergraduate or at one of the professional schools, the message to them is clear, that we are an inclusive community, but one deeply committed to free expression. And that means that we have expectations that that right is exercised mindfully and with empathy towards others. We reinforce that during their See, time. This is at what's Harvard. so insidious about it, right? Is that it's 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 freedom of speech for the right people and not for the wrong people, right? And if you're an oppressor, you don't get freedom of speech, and if you're oppressed, you do. And that is that's what's really perverse about this whole thing, right? It it can both be true that they should exactly have this policy of non-calls for genocide aren't enforced against them as speech, right? Calls for real threats of violence and harassment are, and then everything else and like regular speech is permissive, but they don't allow it when it comes to all kinds of things. Where were they and where was, where were people when in the year of George Floyd, when there were very regular calls for the killing of white people, kill all white people trended for a long time on social media. Well, it, and it's the same thing like uh, um, uh, Jonathan Haidt kind of comes out of that that crew of people that were like all these professors that were disaffected with everything that was going on. When uh, Brett Weinstein at Evergreen University, remember when he got his big thing? Right. Was, uh, he, he refused to kind of partake in this whole day without white people at Ever, Evergreen University. And there were calls for his death and people were outside his car screaming and all this stuff. And he was essentially run out of campus and I believe, and he lost his job from it. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure if he quit or resigned or was fired. I can't remember what the exact details were. Regardless, right he's out right right? um and became a major figure but like it's the same type of dynamic that exists there right yeah and it's a strange phenomenon right because you do have a tremendous amount of hostility on campus to conservatives and libertarians who want to speak their mind but don't feel like they can if you have a different point of view than the dominant one on campus there's not a very tolerant place uh dr claudine gay here uh don't smile like that man (laughs) her last name's gay i don't know what i want to say (laughs) Jeez, Kyle, grow up, man. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm sure. I smirked. I smirked and Dave is calling me out for it. <laughs> He's like, I'm not gay. Um, so it's exactly a in, a, in, a, in a difficult circumstance for sure. And, and definitely not articulate well because it is a frame job, right? In saying that all criticism of Israel is anti-Semitic, that is completely unfair, right? And that's going to, and trying to call for the censorship the, as an anti-Second First Amendment. As you will see, if you look at Greg Lukianoff, who, you know, is the leader in this area for free speech litigation across the you know, country for the for, for enforcement of the First Amendment, especially against college campuses, 
you know, he wrote the book with Jonathan Haidt, you know, Coddling the American Mind, and now the censorship of the American Mind, which is his new book. So I don't know, man. I I think it's really clear that it's it's a sticky situation, but one where the campuses probably have the right policy. They just don't enforce it at all in a way that I think is at all fair and is all like American or is all compatible with the overall virtues and values that we should have as a free society. And I actually highly recommend coddling of the American mind. Uh, the whole concept Wonderful of the, book. yeah, the whole concept of the book is outlining where all the campus craziness started and he, and he, they pinpoint it to kind of late 2013 is where everything started. But then going into the kids that would be going into college at that time, how their parenting life was, and it's kind of like we have the rise of helicopter parenting and all those types of phenomenon. Kids can no longer walk to school and it's becoming a lot more safeguarded. Uh, even, they even go into like talking about things like peanut allergies yeah. and the rise of that, which is right. fascinating, the anti-fragility of that. Um, but then uh, kind of going into all the campus craziness, like it's a very good just document study over uh, over this drastic change in like campus life mm-hmm. that happened 2013, which is when I went to college. That's when mm-hmm. I graduated high school was 2013. So like I saw the very beginnings of it. And I, and I noticed that with all my friends that are older than me, like even two, three years older, they did not have the same experiences in college as I did. <laughs> no, I, I graduated that, yeah. in 2012 mm-hmm. from college. So I, I just barely missed yeah. it. Yeah. You start to see it there. Like it's very obvious, but also Jonathan Haidt, his book, the righteous mind is one of the best books for understanding human dynamics and understanding how they put uh, moral frameworks around politics and things like that. It's like, if you want to understand politics and how groups think and stuff like that, like the righteous mind is one of the best books I could ever recommend on that. Hmm. And if you want us to do book reviews, let us know on the discord channel and uh, maybe we'll do some books like if, book deep dives for people i like it and if you want to be like kaylee our our number one fan although i think emily our other number one fan would probably dispute that kaylee you guys might have to battle i think we have a few number one fans for a misogynist tv show we got some female listeners hey i'm actually surprised we got like at least 12 (laughs) (laughs) out of a couple hundred 12 if you want to be one of our number one fans and and suggest something for us to talk about really they come for the nikki haley clothing reviews that's what they come for (laughs) (laughs) look i'm not good for too many things on this show but I can always be good for that. Apparently, except for today, because I like didn't have a take on that. We're uh, recording this the same day as our debate recap. So oh yeah, yeah. That's oh, why yeah, we're in the same clothes. Yeah. Like, we're all we're all uh, you know. Joe Joe's normally dressed in the same shirt, but we're the reason Dave and I are the same as the, <laughs> as the previous episode is it's the same day. Oh yeah, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't think about that. See, that's why I do it. No one can ever tell what <laughs> moment in time I'm in. I am I am extra temporal. If you're a time traveler, never ask Joe what year it is because you won't know. You won't know. You won't be able to tell. Just nope. by looking at them. Nope. All right. Well, yeah, thank you. Guys. Thank you for the question. Thank you guys for the conversation. Bennett, thank you for your hard work back there. For David Rand, Kyle Mack, I'm Joe Sheehan. Thanks for watching Human Reaction. We'll see you next time. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to Human Reaction. Help us fight internet censorship by liking, commenting, subscribing, following, and sharing the show with your friends. To find us around the internet, visit linktree.com slash human reaction pod. And remember, it's not the biggest YouTube video of all time, is it? I thought it was just, I thought it's just like video game trailer, like video game debut. I thought it was best. Let's like, just lead with some debut. fake news. It's fine. Yeah, we're not sure. And GTA 6 most, trailer has conservatives outraged. Trailer launch. Most viewed trailer launch. I like that. Conservatives outraged after the launch of the GTA 6 trailer. And the internet goes crazy. Wow!